Welcome to Market Scale Hospitality. I'm Sean Heath, and today I have the privilege of having a conversation with Gregory George, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Follow Summer. Gregory, how are you today? I am excellent, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, but I have a feeling I'm about to be very jealous. Where on this planet are you at this exact moment? Uh, I am in a little town called St. Mary's, Ontario, Canada, which is about two hours west of Toronto, a bucolic little town in southwestern Ontario. Now, would that be home or is that someplace that you find yourself passing through during some of your extensive travels? Uh, It is my home. It is our follow summer uh, home base at this point. Now, is that where you grew up or is that someplace you settled down to? Uh, It is someplace that I have settled down to, uh, very close to the city when I need to get into town to uh, attend events or whatever, close to airports when I travel. Uh, But it's out of the the ruckus and the rigmarole of of city life. I lived in Toronto for, oh gosh, probably about 35 years and then decided to uh, get out of town, get out of Dodge and focus my business here locally. You approach what you do from a very much a sharing mentality. You genuinely love what you do and you get an excitement in being able to share the honesty of whatever experience you have. Tell me a little bit about how that brought you to form Follow Summer. Uh, Well, the original trip actually happened in the end of 2003. Uh, It was... um, My partner and I came out of uh, hectic times in our lives, education and work, and decided to uh, sell our house, sell our car, and travel around the world for a year. Um, I have a marketing background, and I felt the need to somehow brand the trip. Uh, People were coming to us to say, send us an email from India or Thailand or Australia. Let us know how you're doing. I didn't really want to take the time to be sending out, um, you know, having a great time, wish you were here, insert personal name uh, type of emails. You're on vacation. Honestly, shot. Do you really wish they were there? I did not. I did not. So we, uh, we actually built a clunky website. Uh, this was long before Facebook or Instagram or uh, any of these social media sharing platforms. And uh, every day we would uh, get a bottle of wine and go in and upload our photos and talk about what happened to us on that day, whether it was riding elephants or getting our paddy diving certificate on the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, It was all about what was going on, what was making us extremely happy during uh 26 countries over uh, 12 months in 2004. Now, in getting prepared for this interview, one of the things that I discovered about you is you don't separate travel from life. You actually look at travel as what should be considered a normal part of everyday life. Uh, I call it living travel. So it, it makes, you know, there are all these things that can go wrong, of course, but, you know, the minutia, the, the bottle of wine that you buy, the, the dinner, uh, the overused experiential uh, side of tra- travel, of living travel. Uh, it's not, we're not talking about, um, you know, saying day one, I got up at eight o'clock in the morning and this is what I did. Uh, it really is about uh, storytelling and about 
my experience and my contributors' experience to what happens to them. What does that coal-lined uh, child in India, how they made you feel, you know, at any given moment? Uh, very, very important. So, yes, it, it's not just about checking your bags and getting off the plane. It's about really sharing that daily experience about the joy of travel, the good and the bad. I think there's a misunderstanding, whether it's willful or not, on the difference that generation brings to experience. Every marketer that I have spoken to almost inevitably falls upon the crutch of saying, oh, well, millennials, you know, they're all digital and, and they're really not about the experience. Their faces are buried in their phones. But that's not what I found. I found that it doesn't matter what generation you're in. If you're a boomer, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennial, experiences are something that we're finally starting to embrace much more than we have over the past few decades. Is that something that you find as well? Uh, I would agree with you, but I think it's how people are, are sharing those experiences. Uh, uh, the millennials will do Instagram stories, you know, they will do Snapchat stories. Um, uh, people of my generation, which are the boomer generation, tend to be experienced travelers, right? So they don't need to see the Eiffel Tower again. They don't need to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but they need to see something that is um, uh, new, familiar, and also something that they're going to be able to take back and talk about. Um, I think it's how people are reporting it. And it's, I think how people are, are sharing that information with, uh, say you are a travel blogger or a travel writer, uh, or you're simply going home and telling your grandkids about a great person that you met in Italy or, um, an incredible walk that you had, uh, across England. Uh, it's about the pub food. It's about the people that you met. Uh, you can name them by names. Um, I think it's how we're reporting it and telling our stories that really does make the difference. Well, you know, there is something that's known as the observer effect or the, the Hawthorne effect where the, the mere act of observing something changes the nature of that thing. Do you find that people's experiences are different in, in either a positive or a negative way if they spend their entire time in that experience? observing and documenting the experience versus actually experiencing the experience? Haha, <laughs> good question, because I have been caught many times, uh, you know, specifically on a on a press trip where I'm being paid for my uh for my work, where I am missing a lot because I am spending time taking notes, um, you know, taking images, using my Canon camera to take uh images, um and possibly recording Instagram stories as well. So uh, I think we walk a fine line of, of falling into that trap of instantaneous reporting uh, and stopping and smelling the roses because you might miss the tip of that whale as it comes out of the, uh, out of the ocean, right? While your phone is, your, your, your face is buried in your phone. With your experienced perspective, are there some other trends you've seen that maybe caught your attention or even concern you a little? Uh, I, I think that um, 
concerning me. I, I think that the the, the market uh, of let's call it storytelling has become so saturated with uh, what we call influencers. Uh, everybody is a travel writer now. Everybody is a travel blogger. Everybody is a food blogger because they feel that they can. Um, I, I think it does come down to the writing, and that's that's very important for me uh, as a storyteller. I I agonize sometimes with deadlines looming uh, over uh, two sentences that I feel are not perfect for it. Um, so you know, I I find the market saturated with people who may have some talent and may have some desire to tell a story, but are just not quite there yet. Um, people who feel that they can get a free ride or sponsored trip or as we call them fams uh, to go somewhere and and uh, be looked after for a week in a hotel and and experience everything that this uh, destination has to has to offer. One of the things that you have gained through your journeys, through your travels, is respectability. You know, you've put in the time, you put in the work, and, and you speak with a degree of gravitas because you kind of know what you're talking about. You're not some 21-year-old who's decided to take a gap year and, oh, look, I, I managed to find a cheap trip to Malaysia and look at this temple. I'm a world traveler. So there is a degree of effort that does add credence and validity to opinions. But I think the body of work, as you mentioned, really is important. What work have you done? Let me see the previous writing that you've done. Let me see the quality of your perspective so I know how to take the perspective you're giving me now. Is that a is that one of the biggest challenges for anyone who wants to be a travel writer is you can't say you're a travel writer until you've actually traveled? Uh, yes, I totally agree, but I I you know, I will step back from your earlier statement there saying uh Thank you for, you know, the, the, uh, recognition of the maturity. Uh, but you do have to travel. You do have to not just go away for a vacation. Uh, you have to go and, um, spend time in, uh, at a destination, um, you know, getting your hair cut, uh, shopping, uh, cooking, uh, uh, getting to know the locals, uh, um, and, you know, living as the locals do, uh, before you can actually sit down and say, you know, uh, this has been my experience of Ubud in Bali, uh, because I was there for a week, you know, partying. I was in Seminyak and then I decided to go up to Ubud. So, uh, you know, I, uh, it does come back again to the maturity of having the ability to tell a story to make it personal, uh, to reflect back on perhaps the first time you traveled to a place, uh, how it made you feel, and then to talk about how you, when you return to that place, how it made you feel upon return. Um, many people in my business, I think, refuse to go back to a place. Um, I don't believe that at all. Uh, one of my favorite destinations is Paris. Um, and uh, we tend to try and rent an apartment in each separate arrondissement in the city and get to know that area of the city 
its people, its shops, uh, some of its sites, some of their local restaurants, uh, so that we get to know, I can actually say, I'm a Paris expert, uh, as opposed to staying at a hotel and doing the traditional um, Paris tour. So it is very important to be able to, to um, you know, uh, I, I would say rely on the breadth and experience of your of your past travel experience to be able to say, I am reporting on this. I'm going to tell you how this makes me feel. I think a reluctance to return to a previous destination is would be pretty detrimental to any travel writer worth their salt. For example, if you went to Paris in 1985, and now we're in 2018, and you haven't been back, you have no concept of what the Louvre Pyramid looks like in person. Agree, agree. It was erected in 1989, and you would be missing an incredibly dramatic piece of architecture by I.M. Pei. Yep. So I think to, you're absolutely right. You have to go back because much as people change, places change right along with them. And the cities we live in have an ebb and a flow. They grow, they shrink, they improve, they fall behind. One of the things as a traveler that I'm overly aware of is where am I going to sleep? I, I'm, I can deal with food. I can deal with travel delays. I can deal with weather. But, man, I have to know where I'm sleeping. And, and I have a tendency to judge a trip based on how well the, the accommodations worked. Now, that doesn't mean I have to stay at a major chain. I could stay at a bed and breakfast. I could stay in a youth hostel, but it ha I have to be comfortable when I sleep. That's the only hard, fast rule that I have. And with the, the major conglomerations that are taking place, the massive um, amalgamations of hotel chains, it seems like there's, I don't know, there's a weird attempt at trying to homogenize everything. I don't know that necessarily that's good for travelers. I don't know that that brings me a different experience. Uh, I, I would agree with you, but I would also say I think the big chains are trying to be everything for everybody at the same time. Uh, them developing sub brands underneath, you know, the big, the big chains to attract the millennials, to attract the, you know, the hipsters, to attract even now the hostelers out there. The, the number of, of hostels uh, that happen, uh, that are situated in the world right now that fall under some of these big chains, uh, I find amazing. I, and I will be honest with you, Sean, I am not a big chain kind of fan. Um, when I had a corporate job, uh, I would be booked into a big chain hotel only because, you know, my, my, the company had a deal with them. Um, when I travel now, I tend to seek out uh, the, the more boutique style hotels, uh, the more, uh, uh, not necessarily cost effective, but something that's going to give me more of a personalized experience because, uh, I realize that I am not there most of the day. I'm going to be re really there to sleep at night. Uh, I would want to grab a drink. I'm not necessarily going to take advantage of their gym facilities. If they have a great restaurant that I want to try, Yes, absolutely. But I, I think the smaller change, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned something about um, the uh, Archer Hotels chain. I was in Austin, Texas in March, 
and stayed at the, uh, the, uh, Archer Austin. Um, they have about six properties in America and, um, all separate properties, um, all individualized service. Um, uh, they knew us by name. They went out of their way to make sure that, uh, uh, we were well looked after. Uh, and I was so impressed by that. Um, they're trying to be, you know, uh, an upscale higher end boutique chain, but it's not the Hilton. It's not, uh, it's not the Marriott. Um, they're, they're really, uh, figuring out what's going on in the marketplace and delivering specifically to their customers a very customized approach. You used a phrase there, cost effective. And I think we have to take a moment when we're investing in our personal experiences to separate the cost of something and the actual value of that thing. Yes. So granted, you might stay at that boutique at the Archer. It might be a little more expensive to stay in at the Holiday Inn or at the Hilton, but the experience, the psychological, the emotional, the the feeling you have is a value that you might not be able to arrive from a hotel room that's exactly like the last 17 you stayed at. I totally agree with you. Uh, I don't mind paying the extra for the experience, right? Um, you know, and, you know, a personal experience at the Archer Austin, we were, we were talking about the wineries of Texas and you got, you guys are based in Dallas. I know that you, I was not terribly aware that you know, Texas produced some sort of wine. Uh, so we, we, uh, we talked about it, the concierge, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, we went out for dinner one night of, on his recommendation, recommendation in Austin. And we were talking about wine before we left. We came back to our room that night and there were two bottles of wine that we, he felt that we had to taste, uh, because we had been talking about it. Compliments of the hotel. And I was thinking, perfect, right? You've just made my stay. Not only are you promoting your services, but you're also promoting the Texas wine business, uh, which I had no idea about. So for me, that was worth the extra that I might have paid for that customized approach. And that type of curation in an experience usually is something you just have to stumble upon. But does it feel to you like travel agents might be experiencing a bit of a resurgence? Absolutely. They are specifically in Canada and the U.S. I've seen uh, that there is a real shift uh, in sentiment among consumers, I think, that they, they value working with a travel professional, not just for the, uh, um, you know, for the, uh, the expertise of, of the hotel or the destination, but you know, um, you know, the, the ability to, uh, to actually, uh, leverage that information, uh, and make a, a, a decision, right? Uh, cause the travel agent is going to come back to you, uh, and, and make very specific recommendations to you based on, uh, an interview, um, a course of, you know, what is it exactly are you trying to, to achieve here? Is this a vacation? Is this, a honeymoon is this an anniversary trip what what is the purpose of this trip um so you know it's saving saving you time obviously uh and in some cases saving you money so yes definitely 
travel agents are on the uptick, I would say, at this point. Please tell me the man-made location that you saw in your travels that took your breath away, and then tell me a natural phenomenon that you've seen in your travels that also took your breath away. Uh, a man-made hmm, Okay. Um, well, uh, I would have to say the Taj Mahal, uh, as, as, you know, uh, cliquey and as, as stereotypical as that is, uh, specifically at sunset, uh, where you could, uh, not have the vast millions of people who were standing around looking at the, at the, uh, the monument, um, and specifically upfront and personal at the Taj Mahal that was, uh, uh, it's encrusted with jewels. I don't know if you know that. Um, and I read something very interesting recently about the, the government of India is asking for them to either spend a lot of money to repair the Taj Mahal or simply tear it down. That would be absolutely catastrophic. That building, I don't think it's clicky at all for you to to mention that. I That's on my bucket list of things that I want to see in person. So it sounds like I might need to go ahead and travel, travel there sooner than later. What natural feature really has taken your breath away? I would say Cappadocia in Turkey. Uh, just spending time there. I don't know if you realize that you can rent out a cave in, in Cappadocia. Uh, and actually, uh, spend some nights in the caves there. Uh, many people will know Cappadocia from the Star Wars movies where they film some of the, uh, the battle sequences. Um, so just, you know, incredible natural formations that are, uh, pretty well untouched. Um, uh, they are being a bit over tourist, uh, um, you know, visited at this point. Uh, there's a lot of that going around uh, in the world today about, uh, you know, Machu Picchu is clamping down on, on over-tourism. Uh, but just, you know, you can go up in a hot air balloon in Cappadocia and just have a look and see this beautiful valley of, of pyramidal uh, mountains and peaks that uh, uh, poke up out of the ground and these beautiful mountain caves where, where people lived and you can stay overnight. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time while you're unpacking luggage and doing laundry and loading another suitcase before you head back out on the road. I really am thankful you took time to talk to me today. It has been absolutely fascinating. Today, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with Gregory George, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Follow Summer. You can get more information by going to followsummer.com. Greg, thanks so much. I really wish you uh, a wonderful day and always safe travels. Thank you, Sean. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.